Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by Hunt Priest, founder and executive director of Ligare, an organization dedicated to the exploration of the intersection of Christianity and psychedelics. Among many other topics, Hunt discusses how psychedelics can open one to mystical experiences, the importance of experience over belief, and the role the church can play in the psychedelic renaissance. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts or the YouTube channel. Also, hit that like button and notification bell. Your support is truly appreciated. Hunt Priest is ordained in the Episcopal Church and the founding executive director of Ligare, a Christian psychedelic society, a nonprofit network of Christian leaders educating themselves and those they lead about the intersection of open-hearted Christianity and the psychedelic renaissance. A participant in a psilocybin study in early 2016, he had two life-changing mystical experiences under the care of a research team. His encounters with psilocybin opened him to the healing and consciousness-raising power of sacred plants and fungi and changed the landscape of his work. Hunt believes the healing power of psychedelics should be in the toolkits of all who are healers of bodies, minds, and souls, and can't wait to provide access to legal, safe, and guided experiences in a Christian setting. In April 2021, Hunt took an extended break from full-time parish ministry to expand his priesthood out into the emerging psychedelic landscape. He has previously served Episcopal Church congregations in Austin, Atlanta, Seattle, and most recently Savannah, Georgia, where he currently lives. Hunt, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thanks, Nick. It's really great to be here. Thank you. Yes, well, thank you. I am so looking forward to speaking with you today. I first learned about you and your work when you were a presenter at an online symposium uh, through the Chakruna Institute this past spring. And I was wildly impressed with what you were saying. And there's no doubt that we are in a psychedelic renaissance. And, you know, it, it's always been seen that there's this spiritual dimension to psychedelics. But I think Christianity often gets left out of the picture. And so I was really excited to discover you and your work and the founding of Ligare, because I think it's providing something that is quite crucial as we move forward with this. But first, before we get into all of that, I do want to get into your experience as a participant in the psilocybin study and the mystical experiences in your work. But I thought that it might be helpful to discuss just kind of broadly your spiritual journey up to that point. You're an ordained priest in the Episcopal Church. What led you to that path? Have you spent your adult life being a priest or uh, what, what's what's been your journey? What's led you here? Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I grew, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, and we were, my family were pretty regular churchgoers. Not not all the time, and not o- overly involved, but we were re- pretty regular churchgoers, and it was just kind of part of my experience. And uh, I also um, I've thought about this a lot, and I I think as a child, as a younger, as certainly as a child, I had an I had an awareness of God's presence in nature. I think I always, I just, I, 
I grew up in this part of Kentucky that was not in the mountains, but you could see them. And I would look out at the mountains sometimes and just a lot of the time and just thank God, what a beautiful, it's so beautiful. And I'm not sure I would say at the hand of God or something, but I just always sensed God's presence in nature, even if I didn't, what didn't exactly articulate that that way. And uh, there, I don't think there was ever a time in my life that I didn't feel like I was held in something beyond me. So I just always had a sense of that. And I guess you, you could say I was had a mystical bent to me as a younger person, uh, magical in a way. So I always had that sense. And then when I was in middle school, I think our, our local parish priest mentioned to my aunt that he thought I should maybe one day consider ordination. And I filed that away. I filed it deep away and went off to college and went to work for Delta Airlines and then went to work in advertising. And at every transition, I would think, well, is this the time? And it wasn't. And, uh, and all that time, I went to church, but always felt like something was missing in Christianity, which I think is now my understanding of the mystical and contemplative. I think I felt like there was always too much talking in church, and yet I didn't know there was any way otherwise. I started reading Eastern traditions. I read Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, and it sent me right back to the church, actually. And I think that's when I began to explore more the more mystical side of Christianity. And over those time, I got married, and my wife and I had a child. And in my mid-30s, we were at a very unique Episcopal church in Atlanta, where most of the congregation lived with mental illness. And I saw a congregation that value the dignity of every human being and i saw how church could be part of that and i had a mystical experience in that community at a baptism where it's a long story but i in the in the middle of a eucharist i had this or a baptism i felt the whole room collapse on itself and i just understood we were all one that we were all the same rich poor black white mentally ill less mentally ill all of us, maybe that was being baptized, this guy that was crying, it was all a sense of unity, unitive nature of consciousness, I would say now. And so it was that church. And then where I was in life that I went off to seminary at 37, ordained at 40, and then got busy doing church work and uh, running congregations. And, and in the midst of that, I saw an ad for a research study for religious professionals and it changed again, expanded my ministry beyond what I was doing. So that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> but I was always connected to church, always felt a sense of God's presence and always, always a little bit disappointed in what church was offering yeah. because it was too talky and right. too heady, mm. less experiential. Yeah. So, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. I know there's been a lot of writing and thinking in terms of where Christianity has, and I'm just using that very broad, you know, with the understanding that Christianity is not a monolithic thing. Um, but there's been a lot of discussion about the church and the relevance of it and its survival moving forward, because a lot of people seem to be leaving because it seems like precisely those reasons that there's something that's missing. And so I do want to talk to you about that as well, but let's go back to this study that you paid it in. So you read this advertisement or uh, call for participants. What interested you in it? Had you had experience beforehand with psychedelics at all? So the study required 
two things. One was that you were active, a real religious professional working in some setting in a religious institution, which I was. I was director of an Episcopal church in Seattle, Mercer Island, Washington, and that you were psychedelic, psychedelically naive, which I was. I had not, I'd gone to college in the 80s, and that was in the mid the 80s, and it was around, and I just hadn't. I'd, I wasn't opposed to it. I just didn't, I just wasn't that interested. A lot of friends had, but so I was psychedelically naive and I was working in a setting, a religious setting. And I saw this ad and uh, had read an article about it and uh, thought, why wouldn't I do this? I mean, this is a major research institution. It's part of what I was beginning to hear about the psychedelic renaissance. I'd read a Michael Pollan article in the New Yorker, I think. And so I was aware of it and I thought somebody actually cares what religious professionals think. I honestly thought that somebody, a major research institution cares. So I applied and thought I would probably be too late. They were having trouble finding people. So I wasn't and uh, was accepted. And over the course of the next three months had two medium high doses of psilocybin and had very profound religious experiences. So yeah, I just pulled a thread. And um, so, so grateful I did. It's changed, it's changed my life. It's changed the life of my friends and family because I've been able to uh, talk about it and connect people to experiences out of the, mostly out of the country. So, it, so that they're, so that it's legal, but um, yeah. So that's, that's what happened. Yeah. What was the, uh, what was their goal? Because they were looking for people who were religious leaders. What were they trying to determine through this study? Well, I think, so a lot of this research had been around mental health and around fear of dying and addiction. And the people that were having the best results with whatever it was, whether it was addiction or depression, the most healing was coming when people had the most mystical experiences or the most religious, whether it was, you know, meeting Jesus or realizing that like I did, everything was connected. The more mystical the experience, the more profound the healing. And so I think they wanted to check the language of the religious traditions, the experience of religious professionals against that. Mm. Uh, the, the study has not been published. It will be, I think, late 22 or early 23 it took a long time to find Christians who had not, who are willing to be in the study and had not used psychedelics before. I think now that would be easier. Michael Pollan's book, I think, changed that a lot, but it was hard then. It was in 2015 when I applied. It was just hard to find people that were willing to do it. And they, it wasn't from a lack of trying. Right. I think the war on drugs actually worked in the way that it convinced people these were dangerous and addictive, which mm -hmm. they're not in, in either one of those cases. So uh, I was fortunate and I answered the call and I'm again, so grateful I did. Yeah. But I think the point was to check the language of the participants with the language of the world's religious traditions. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I was, I was just kind of curious what their ultimate aim was. Um, uh, and I, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so you had a, actually two mystical experiences during this study, correct? So can you actually describe the experience of your participation, you know, the set and setting, you already mentioned what the dosage was, mm -hmm. uh, but how the study kind of progressed and then kind of go into your experiences. Okay. Yeah. So it was guy, it was clinical in a way. So it was in a, it was in a room set up to be like a living room, although it was part of a, of a hospital and, uh, 
two trained guys. One was a medical doctor and one was a psychologist. And then me as the focus of it. And it was, they, uh, there was music headsets, there were eye shades and a sofa. And I stretched out on that. Well, before that, I was given a, a, a prescription dose of psilocybin in a chalice, like I would take communion in. And uh, well prepared, I had several prep sessions with the two guides and then got to the, got to the center and had the dose and then stretched out on a sofa with the eye shades and the headsets on and just waited to see what happened. I didn't really have any expectations. I just wanted to be open and I got to be open as it went along. I thought I was open before, but I was pretty closed off. It took a, it took a physical experience to open me up to the bigger uh, experience. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that's part of, I think the experience is there's a letting go. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a fear sometimes of no, 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 no. This is so strange, but you just have to go with the flow of it. My, my guide, my guy, one of my guides said, how do you feel right before? And I said, well, I'm a little nervous. And he said, you should be. <laughs> and I think he said, cause you're about to meet God or something, but he said, you should be, you should be because it's not. And I think we do have to, one of the things that I think we need to be talk more about is this it's not to be toyed with. I mean, you, you can do it recreationally. That's fine. But if you're doing this as a spiritual experience, it's, it's to be, there's reverence. There's the fear of the Lord, which is, you know, you should be, uh, you should be in awe of it and you should not go lightly, not tread lightly into this because it's, right. it'll change your life. Yeah, for sure. Now you said that they gave you the dose in a chalice. Was that, I don't know if you know the answer to this, was that something that they did to each of the participants? Did they give it, I guess the way I want to ask this is in a way that the members of each tradition could relate to? I, I don't mean, think the, the chalice predate, even though that's a very strong Christian symbol right. that predated, that goes back to early research. And I, I don't, I really don't know the answer to that. I think it was about acknowledging the sacred i guess okay it's interesting that that's because it fits a little bit of the theory of use in the early church that it being the psychedelic brews and things brian murray rescue's book and and carl rust's book about that so right. so I, I think that i don't know maybe maybe yeah. there's some connection to that but the the jews and the buddhists and the one Muslim participant would have all, it was all the same. The music okay. was the same. It wasn't, it wasn't crafted for a particular tradition. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was just kind of curious because yeah, the palace just seems so. <laughs> so Christian. Yeah. 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 Although yeah. we could say it was just a cup. It was just a wine yeah. glass. Yeah. No, chalice is better. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I agree. There's, I, I think that the, there ought to be a ritual aspect to the consumption of these and have it as part of a ritual ritualized experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I, th again, that's, that's one of the places that with religion, we know about ritual and we know about process and we know about uh, holding a can make, having a container. And uh, so I think that's one of the important, I would say part of the, reason for the study was also to kind of broaden the conversation to include the world's religions mm. 
there was already a Jewish conversation, long, well-established right. Jewish conversation. The Christian conversation, the Muslim conversation, even the Buddhist conversation is much newer. Hmm. So it's just starting, actually, I think, probably. Right, so. right, right. So let's go back to, can you describe the actual, and I know this is difficult because often with mystical experiences, it's there's this ineffability to them. Um, but can you describe the actual experience at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, there's a there's a little preface to till I get to mine is that I'd been a year before had been on ten day vipassana meditation retreat, which is a very intense. I mean, you know about it. it's a very intense ten day, maybe six hours a day of total silent meditation, very little food, two two small meals a day and otherwise isolated except when you're in the meditation hall you can walk but no exercise it was it was grueling and about day four i literally thought i was gonna lose my mind and i and i i promised to stay so i did on day five in the in the meditation hall i had a very strong electrical current in my left thigh it was a it was a spiraling circle like this and you see you see this symbol it's a journey of life i think it's been called before but it's just spiral and that was on my left thigh and it was electrical and i was like oh god i uh, it just came out of nowhere like i don't know what that is but it seems to be why i'm here and and i i sat with that and it stayed with me for a while but after a year i'd kind of forgotten about it so fast forward to early 2016 and i'm seeing colors so i've got the shades on the music's happening i'm seeing colors and sort of physically uncomfortable, sort of struggling. And then totally out of nowhere in the same place on my left thigh, that exact same spirally little thing. And I remembered day five of that meditation retreat where I about left. And I thought, oh my God, five days of that hour of this, it's the same thing. And I had this image, I've said letting go of the oars, but the real image was, and that was part of it, but the primary image I had was of a, latch on a but we have it on our back porch a screen of old metal latch on a screen door and mm -hmm. in my mind i lifted that and the door swung open and i would say now the spirit moved in blew in like a gale force wind and then all of a sudden my whole body started shaking and then i had this electrical current in my spine began at the base of my spine moving up my spine and it got stuck right here in my throat. And this probably happened over the course of about 30 minutes. I lost track of time, but, and then <clears throat> stuck here. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, this is, it's stuck right here and it's got to come out. And it's, I want, I thought it's got to come out my ears or my mouth and you can't get to it. And I thought it's going to blow my Adam's apple. That's why oh. I thought that. And I maybe verbalized that, but I was struggling. And so one of my guides, <clears throat> laid hands on my head the other guy was a medical doctor he went to my feet and they the medical doctor asked me to push against him like i had done for my wife when she was delivering our child kind of lamaze like i was pressing and the other guy had his hands on my head as i've done countless times with people i was praying with and as soon as he laid hands on my head the the electrical current went up i say a thousand percent but it went up dramatically as if i pulled an electrical lever and uh it blew whatever that block was, it blew past it and went out the top of my head. And what I would say now was it was a Kundalini awakening. It was a chakra, third throat chakra blocked. I know that now. I didn't know that then. I didn't have the language for it. And, uh, and then 
I started speaking in tongues, which is not the norm for Episcopal priests. And uh, I started shaking more violently and dramatically and uh, had a sense of the Holy Spirit in my body. Uh, Paul's words, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> That's what I've experienced. Hmm. And from there, I just was um, out in the multiverse with the Spirit and mostly, but mostly in my body, shaking. Hmm. And very, very embodied experience. Hmm. And that was, that was new for me as an ordained person, as a church leader. I'd gotten way up in here. And thought I could figure everything. I could figure out God. I could explain God. I could grow the church by figuring out the next newest thing and convince people intellectually, not of God, but of, of, of that we could get there by knowing the right way to talk about God. And that totally changed my God as an experience. And that's where we are in church i think right now is we've gotten so far away from the experience of god mm. and i think people hunger for that and uh it can happen in liturgy it's happened to me countless times giving communion to people baptizing a baby healing being with somebody who's died praying with a family after a death praying with a dying person all of that has been an embodied experience and then i had a big one with with psilocybin and now I know it's about experience. It's not about belief. It's about experience. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's well, you know, they had a little bit of, uh, problematic ideas, but there is something to the old idea of gnosis. No, I think that's right. <laughs> we've, we've, uh, yeah, that's just gotten, I think that's right. That's it's gotten turned up with a lot of other things, but right. I have like, uh, heresies and things, but yeah. But even heresies, I'm, I'm much I'm less concerned about that either, because I think all of those are experiences of God, whether the institutional church was willing to acknowledge it or not. Those are about experiences of God. And we can just let's have a conversation. Let's not burn people at the stake. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, and it was interesting that you described this as like a Kundalini awakening. And, you know, because that's language from a completely different tradition. And I'm curious, how has this experience changed your experience, I guess, um, excuse my poor language here, but your, your understanding, your experience of your Christianity also along with those lines is, you know, do you think that this is opening up avenues for greater inter-traditional discussions and even inter-denominational discussions yeah so one one question at a time <laughs> yeah yeah sorry <laughs> well, that's, no, no, that's all good they're all connected but yeah. so the first the first was uh, how has it changed your experience of christianity okay or, yeah or, it's, so i <clears throat> so in my in the anglican episcopal tradition there's always been a sense that it's not just about scripture it's not just about the tradition. It's also about our experience. It's about our, it's about our brains and our experience. And those are all equally important. And so, and, and also that orthodoxy, right belief is not, practice is important, is equally as important as, as belief. So that was always a part of my theology and practice was to not get too hung up on 
orthodoxy, not too hung up on that the creed is the only way to imagine the Trinity or Christianity, and, and also that spiritual practices, silence, meditation, retreats are all important part of it. It's not just about coming to church and hearing the scripture. So I, I kind of had a broad sense of things anyway, but but the, the those experiences in the study and then later experiences has just affirmed to me that the more we can give people experiences of God, wherever that is, in church, but also anywhere they are, and to affirm the experiences people are having in nature or with music outside the confines of the institution, to affirm that as totally legitimate and as valuable as anything else. It, it changed my priesthood almost immediately that way to say, we're not, we're, this isn't big enough. We've made this too small. And uh, that this is much bigger than we've imagined, and it's much bigger than we can imagine. And we just need to stop limiting God. And uh, and I always had an ecumenical interfaith named Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, I was reading other people, and I don't think all the religions are the same. I, I mean, I think we're all of value. I'm a Christian, so I think that's the way for me. So. But that doesn't say, that's not to say that I can't learn a lot about my Christianity from my Hindu brothers and sisters, my Muslim brothers and sisters, and Jewish brothers and sisters. So I think wherever we can meet around spiritual practices would be a wonderful, and I think psychedelics can be that, to meet in those experiences, to say, to learn from these other traditions, and for them to learn from me, and not get hung up in what do I believe, but what have I experienced of God? That's so much that's so much more interesting to me. It's so much more interesting and so much more life-giving and so much more future-oriented than, than what do I believe that's the same as what you believe? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a different discussion, but that's, and that's important, but it's not the main, it's not the main discussion. It's really yeah. not. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that very much because I think that's one of the things that Christianity has struggled with is this idea the the focus on belief and you know that there's only one true belief and it i think it that may be what has closed off some of the experiential aspects of it yes yes yeah. i mean if you were if christianity gets reduced well, i don't reduce it and a lot of people, if you reduce christianity to the creed the nicene apostles creed if it's all you if all you really believe about Christianity is are those words, which don't really even mention the ministry of Jesus. Right. I mean, I understand the creed. I understand what the historical significance of it. But if that's all there, or if the only, the only belief you have is the little bit of scripture that you've been told that often doesn't even include much about love. Mm. I mean, that, that's a very narrowing. So we've narrowed, narrowed, narrowed this expansive experience of God that people had with Judaism and then through the ministry of Jesus and then through the early church. And th these mystical, these mystics have popped up throughout church history. I'd say beginning with Paul and throughout church history and the desert mothers and fathers and the medieval mystics and 20th century mystics. And then it, but I didn't learn about that. I've been in church my whole life. Right. I didn't know about Julian of Norwich or, St. Francis, more than just a statue in the garden. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about St. Clair or Bennett. I mean, any of them, any of them. So 
And it took me being an adult to go to monasteries and enter into the cycle of prayer and ritual and, and silence. So there's so much more to Christianity than most Christians or non-Christians see. That's really where the goal, the goal is there. And part of this, I hope, is that the connection between psychedelics and the mystical Christian tradition or the mystical Jewish tradition or the mystical Islamic tradition, that's where the connection will be. It'll not be about belief. Right, right. Well, it's an experience of the living Christ, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes. And that's that. And the connection to Pentecost is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is the coming into the world of the resurrected presence of christ in the in the comforter in the spirit and blowing in like a wind Mm -hmm. and then holding it holding holding the world right right yeah it's kind of so i mean we have so it's not just imagery we have these beautiful ways to understand god that are so expansive and so Mm -hmm. free and so big and we screw it down into right into these little tiny dead things yeah yeah and to our detriment and to the detriment of the greater world god yes yes yeah yeah. i mean to understand this expansive cry i mean christ on the cross with his arms out embrace the heart of the sacred heart of jesus the compassion open to the world with the arms open to the world in an embrace Hmm. giving up himself for the sake of the for the sake of the world to stop doing this shit to human beings right and yeah we still do it we're doing it now and and that's what that's about that's giving of himself for the love of the world hmm. how could you how could that not be the most beautiful thing the biggest gift and then the spirit blowing like coming in like the wind disrupt to disrupt the principalities and powers and the principalities and powers are so controlled and so tight. And we all buy into it that we just say, Oh no, no, not Pentecostals. No, not Pentecostals. No, that's too, that's too out of control. That will do be too disruptive. Yeah. 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 It makes me think of several things, but you know, one is those principalities and powers kind of go back to the Gnostics, their idea of the archons Mm -hmm. that are constantly just keeping us down and in control. But I also think of Jesus at the temple chasing the people out, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's not the sweet sweet little Jesus. uh, You know, that's not sweet little Jesus. That's angry, righteous anger, righteous anger. Yeah. Well, you know, Aristotle said that righteous indignation is a virtue. So yeah, embraced it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it also what you're saying also reminds me, speaking of the mystics, something that Meister Eckhart wrote, he had this prayer, a very short one, and it was, um, God rid me of God. And I always kind of read that as the concepts that we create of God are so limiting And so he's like, let me empty myself of that. And that emptying seems to go back to that experience of you lifting the latch on the gate, you know. Thank you for that. Yes, that's right. I I knew that quote, but I had not connected. Yeah. And I I mean, I think I also think about the self-emptying of Jesus is kind of along those lines too. But there was an emptying that happened in me and that 
experience. I mean, it was, when I say it was physical, it was extremely physical mm. and I, it shook things out of me or something. Mm. And, and what was happening in my voice was something about maybe that was these old images of God coming out, mm. these old things I was holding on to uh, that weren't serving me in, in my work anymore. They never had. And mm. I, I'm not even sure what those were, but I, there was such an openness in me I had a lot of anxiety that I was really not aware of going into that. It was, I only was aware of how much it was when it was gone. And so there was this huge opening in me of space and that I only in the months that followed really came to, came to understand. So, yeah. So maybe that's what the church is also religion in general is going through right now is that we're, we're trying to let go of these old, these old understandings of God that aren't, that's what people are walking away from too. Mm-hmm. Walking yeah. away from it. Yeah. 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 I think they're walking away from that and just everything seems kind of ossified mm-hmm. you know, that there's just the going through the motions of things. But again, that experience is not there. You know, I, you know, I teach religious studies. I teach biblical history and whatnot. And I always begin with this question of what is religion, which, you know, Ligari, of course, is the root for the word religion to rebind and reconnect. But without going into my entire lecture, you know, I always kind of end up focusing on this idea of the experience of awe. And I will ask students, it's like, when is the last time you experienced awe? And I always have to be clear because someone will say, oh, well, I saw that, you know, when I watched the Avengers movie, I'm like, "Eh, did (laughs) you, you know, I'm talking, you know, chin on the floor sense of awe. Right. And most of the students will answer sometime, someplace in nature. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Right. I think, and I think it's always interesting that so much of scripture, so much of the biblical record is out. I mean, and part of that's, that's just what it was in the first, you know, But also that's, that's where people were, that's where people have always experienced God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's a reason right. that God's in the mountains. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, you got to go to the top of the mountain to have those up in the cloud. To have those, right. that, that's the biblical record of the encounters with God is often up on a mountain or in the desert or with plants. I mean, yeah, God, it's just, it's all again, Judaism and Christianity and Islam and the, and that's so I'll speak to those because that's the ones I'm most familiar with. Our stories, our stories, are about awe and reverence, mm-hmm. and not we made it about rules, but that's really not the story. Story is encounters with God. The rules are just such a small part of it, and right. the least interesting part of it, and the part of it that's about control. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I don't think that the rules can lead to transformation. But... It's about order. No, that's yeah. it's the antithesis of. Yeah. Do you think that there's fear? I mean, I I've been thinking a lot lately about this idea of order, because a lot of the when you look at you know ancient mythologies and whatnot, the creation stories are often stories of implementation of order. And I, I see the necessity of order, but it seems like there's this fear of kind of chaos. 
but it's out of chaos in which creativity emerges. And so I'm not sure what I want to ask, <laughs> but I, it seems to me that some people, I think, fear psychedelics because it creates more chaos. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, yes. It, yeah. I mean, that's chaos. It definitely disrupts. Yeah. Definitely disrupts. And I think, I think there, I think we're increasingly more fearful of chaos. I think you could even think about the political climate in the world is mm -hmm. we're moving toward much less, much more control because it's mm -hmm. people feel so unsafe yeah. and uh, there's reason to feel unsafe. I mean, there, I mean, there's reasons to feel like we're really on a collision course with disaster. So I think the impetus is to get control and hold it. And God, uh, the biblical record seems to indicate that God didn't have in that. And uh, every time we think that's what we've got, there's a disruptor. There's a disruptor, that, whether it's the prophets, whether it's the, some outside force, the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Romans that come in and try to bring order and then God blows it up again. Mm -hmm. And so that is religion and spirit. Religion and God are about undoing the order, I think. Right. Bringing order, I think Richard Rohr says order, disorder, reorder. That mm -hmm. that's the story. That's the religious and spiritual mm -hmm. story. That there's, there is order, there's disorder, and then there's reorder. Or there's life death and resurrection and uh and we seem to be in a period of uh death and, and i mean i think the, the environment is in that so many of our institutions are in that i think people covid kind of helped us see that in a way so we're it's a natural cycle it's right it's not to be afraid it's not to be feared because it's happened over and over again and uh if, if we if christians believe what we say then in the dying, there is a new, better creation that comes. Yeah. So I don't know how to help people hold, let go. But for the people that are open, and I think that was my experience too, the ways I was seeing the world, the way I was seeing my role as a priest at Calcified mm -hmm. and uh, church at Calcified and this breaking into the spirit that happened to me was about, it was very chaotic it was it looked chaotic it felt chaotic it took a lot it took me a several years to finally figure out what it really meant in my ordained ministry i kept doing it i was a different priest after that but i knew that there was something else i needed to do and i wasn't sure and the the the, the soil wasn't tilled enough because for me to talk about psychedelics as a priest really came up against fears we had from the 70s about lsd and uh bad information and that was my reason i hadn't done any of it. i was afraid and so the safety of the study helped me move past that i guess so yeah if you're not religion should be about disorder and it's, it's not that's what yeah. it's not it's about if your life's not changed if if an encounter with jesus didn't change your life and it wasn't really an encounter with jesus right frankly right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it seems to me that what we need right now is a little bit of uh, sacred disobedience um, uh, to yeah. steal a title from a former professor's book. Yeah. What was he, what was he or she talking about sacred disobedience? Oh, she actually <laughs> was, uh, did a study of how nature was kind of, and the great God Pan were demonized into Satan 
Um, but was like, you know, but we need this sort of disobedience in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, not to suggest that it's, you know, she wasn't embracing evil or anything. Well, she was like, know, these are, these are, you know, all of that got placed onto this and was wanting to try to remove everything. She did a Jungian uh, approach. Okay. Um, I like that. Yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, and so I felt, I felt, I have support of my bishop and a lot of Episcopal people, but this feels a little disobedient. I mean, it's a little, you know, it's a little outside the norm what I'm doing. And yet I feel so lucky and I feel like I've, it was legal. And so it's, I'm not, you know, at some point we have to be willing also to break laws. I think, that, yeah. I think the time will come that if this isn't legal, then we need to figure out ways to make it available to people because it's about healing. And yeah. we, I know we'll talk about that at some point, but yeah. this is about healing. And why would you ever withhold healing? Right. Why would the church ever withhold healing from people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think that healing has, I don't think that it's been, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like healing has been the emphasis of the Christian church for a very long time. No, I think, no. And I think you see it in, you see it in, you see it in Jesus. You see it in probably the early church. Part of the attraction was probably, I would say people had healing powers. And I think we all do. They had healing powers. And and then and then and then the church did build hospitals and train doctors. That was part right. of our evangelism and part of our bringing the good news was. And then we turned that over to medical science. And then we couldn't find a role for it. And then we just kind of were embarrassed about it. I think I think laying on of hands was an embarrassing sort of thing. And although it stayed part of the tradition, it just wasn't a part of the main, again, it was all about being up in here right. and not. And so my experience of, the, of somebody laying hands on me in the psychedelic journey and the energy transfer that happened, which was huge. Hmm. Uh, then I understood what I was, what I, I didn't know I was doing that with people. I would do it because I thought it was important to touch people and pray right. with people. But I had I really understood what was going on, I would have been much more intentional about it. And I am much more intentional about it now that I'm there's something happening here, whether you feel it or not, there's something happening here. And that's what was that's what Jesus was doing. Mm -hmm. And we can do it. We can do it. Yeah. We practice it. And yeah. so I I would say the healing that comes with psychedelics for mental health and addiction and uh fear of dying and uh that's if the church doesn't care about that then we should just shut the doors if we don't care about bringing healing modalities to people then we should shut the door and my wife has gotten very interested in reiki she's in, mm. oh, and that and i had had an experience 20 years ago of that which was profound and had it from a nun 15 years ago and then in my own my wife's own psychedelic experiences she's discovered that gift for her and uh god it's real i mean it, i've had those experiences at the hand of people that are gifted with that and right. so we have no idea what we really what our power really is right and jesus yeah. is saying you can i've done this you can do more and we don't really like oh no you're jesus yeah okay yeah. yeah so it seems like we're in a period of profound transformation for the church. I mean, it's been 2000 yep. years <laughs> and it still feels like we're infants, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's right. Yeah. One of the Bill Richards in his book, sacred knowledge, I think it's in there, but it's some, I think it was Bill, but some, we're just in the infancy of understanding consciousness too. Right. Right. So we're just at the very early stages. 
of well 13 billion years we're at the very early stages <laughs> of the human experiment and we very well could blow it up in the next 50 i mean we very well could be at the end of it too but yeah. if we if we wake up and wake up to what the religions have always been trying to tell us then maybe maybe we have, there's hope and then we there's this long history this week you and i are talking or the is the week that some of those images from the telescope are coming and yeah. the expansive nature of the, of the universe is we're on the cusp of that yeah 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 that's set to radically change everything that today's the day yeah uh, they released one yesterday so as soon as we're done i'm going to get online to see if they've been released you know um uh, but yeah, it's uh, a friend of mine's a scientist and posted that first picture and said, you know, imagine a grain of sand, because this is the area in the night sky that that's taking a picture of is something like a grain of a sand and you just see just nothing but galaxies. That gives me the cold chills. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, in the, in the universe within our, I mean, yeah. our mind, we know so little about our own minds and our own right. who knows what role will be in 10 15 years with brain science and psychedelics and, and religion god please let's keep religion in the conversation because yeah. religion does have a lot to bear on this yeah no i agree with that and you know i you know i always make a distinction between the organized religion and religious experience because i think we have to and right. it's uh and you know again it's that connection the, the ligare the, the, the that's what we need is the connection yeah thank you for pointing i mean that's i i, I couldn't believe I was, I was playing with names a year and a half ago and ligare.org was available and i just that was like a sign from the gods like in 2021 if you've got a url that has the word religion the root word of religion in it there's not that's that's it so yeah. <laughs> i'm glad yeah. it i'm glad it worked and it does work i mean you've got to yeah. do a little explanation because it's latin but Right. Yeah, and it's the best of that. I mean, the best of the ritual, the the what binds us to the the uh, unfathomable. It binds us to the what's the grain of sand in that huge yeah. expanse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mystery it binds the us mystery. to the mystery. Capital M. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had asked, uh, you know, this really big question. I had several questions packed into it, but let me kind of go back to that in terms of interdenominational, we'll start that interdenominational discussions and maybe, sorry to do this to you again, but maybe even take a step back and ask about what has been the response from the Episcopal church, uh, what's been the response from your congregation with the work that you're doing um, and go from there. So that, excellent question. And uh so first, I mean, my organization is certainly not just the Episcopal Church. And the people in the study, it was a wide range, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, American Baptist, uh, United Church of Christ. So it was a big, big, broad tent of at least the main line in Roman Catholic and Russian or Greek Orthodox, I think. So, um, and so this is a bigger Christian discussion and a bigger spiritual discussion. But in my own tradition, I was in the study in 2016. 2016 and i tried to have a discussion not with bishops but with colleagues and i just i didn't get anything judgmental or i just got sort of stunned or silence or like really that's what you want to talk about so i just stopped talking about it in 2016 and then pollen's book came out and it became a much 
the ground was tilled. And I think then I was a little more open, not publicly at church. I didn't, because it was even the most progressive open-minded Christians are conservative around drugs, except alcohol and maybe, and maybe cannabis. I say as people are stirring their cocktails, they're saying, Oh, you shouldn't do, <laughs> shouldn't do drugs. Right. But, uh, or smoking a cigarette is just crazy. But um, so I, I started having conversations with colleagues and invited a few colleagues into an experience of psychedelics in a, outside the country, so in a legal setting, and uh, with big results. And uh, so I just began to talk about it in small groups of people. And I, in 2021, in the middle of COVID, I realized that the study it was going to come out at some point. There was no mechanism to bring the findings back to the church. So I left parish work, took a break from it without talking publicly about psychedelics. And it just, I just felt like it was a distraction and it's hard to know where people are. I did talk about my experiences, my mystical experiences. I just didn't say I had them in psychedelics. I said I had them in meditation, which was true in a way. So I talked about the experiences, but didn't connect it. And then since I left, parish work in April of 2021, much more public, things like this. Uh, I've preached about it since. I talked to my bishop as I was leaving. I couldn't, it was important for me to remain in good standing, to function as Episcopal priest. So I talked to my bishop here in Savannah. He was, he'd seen some of the research. He thought it was important. He supports me in this work. I'm still functioning and still part of the institution. And, uh, it's called extension of ministry, so it's just outside the parish context, but still functioning as an Episcopal priest, which I'm grateful for. I think it's important to be in the institution and to be in this space, too. So the conversation has been much, all that to say, the conversation has been much easier. And as I've gotten more public, I keep waiting for the pushback, and it'll come from somewhere. Some very conservative pastor in Montana wrote some nasty things about me. And then I think two weeks later, he was arrested for having porn, <laughs> like having a porn ring or something. So he's gone. But then there'll be somebody that's a little more savvy and right. less. But I don't know. I think people that are most upset about it will be distracted by other political things. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm prepared for it, but I'm not that worried about it. And um, mostly people just are confused or, or just think about addiction. And I think have to reiterate that these are not addictive. They're not addictive as like alcohol or, or other things. They're not addictive. They're not to be messed with, but they're not, they're not to be played with, but they're not addictive. So those are, that's often an addictive or something like that, or it's illegal. Yeah. But that's because we've been given bad information and these 20 years of research. And then the 30 years before that, that's changing. So the pushback is not as strong as anybody thought. I thought it'd be more actually. So, uh, We'll see. I think people also with COVID and the mental health crisis, I think we realize we're in a, we need drastic, we need Hail Mary passes. Yeah. We need big, we need big, big spiritual solutions. Yeah. And I, this is not against any teaching of the church. It's just an addendum to it. And I hope normalized pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 And I always say that, uh, you know, one of my main concerns is the many environmental crises that we're facing, including, you know, climate change. And it's this idea of, you know, as within, so without, and that the world is sick and that reflects a sickness and a dis-ease within all of us. Yes. So we are in desperate need of healing, oh, desperate God. need. Yeah. I mean, 
really the mental health crisis, I mean, can't I mean the, everything that's going on, but the mental health crisis is a sign of a spiritual sickness. Yeah. Uh, yes, there's brain chemistry. Yes, it's situational, but there's such a loss of meaning. I, I'm so aware of the teen, sorry, young men especially, but teenagers, the suicide soldiers. Right. I mean, there's a desperate, there's a desperation, and the addiction crisis is a spiritual sickness. So, and and the spiritual, the people that we would hope to be able to address that have gotten either politicized or marginalized and. There's just nobody, there's nobody there to deal with this. And so we're in a crisis and it's played out in the environmental crisis. Our sickness has played out our addiction to consumption, our addiction to capitalism has uh, led us down this, we're about to destroy the gift that God's given us, which is the planet. Right. And it'll survive and right. a good riddance to us probably. But, uh, but that we're doing that to the planet. And I, yeah. yes, people are, we're waking up to it yeah. slowly. Yeah, we have certainly not created a kingdom of heaven. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah, not. And, it's, and it wouldn't be hard because it's right at hand. Right. And I, I wonder about like my mushrooms and uh, kind of to your point about psychedelics, I think mushrooms and mycelia and the network that holds the whole planet together and then when the conditions are right the fruit pops up mm -hmm. that that's what i hope for those of us who are talking about psychedelics and religion is that these networks are being formed with scientists and medical people and shamans mm -hmm. in south america and atheists anywhere we're building this network and when the when the time's right we're going to pop up we already are and saying mm -hmm. here we are and these fruits of this, these fruits are for our healing. Right. They're for our healing. And yeah. why would we not accept them and be grateful and yeah. have build, build containers that support it and have build communities that support it so that we can heal quickly. We'll heal quickly. Yeah. We will heal quickly. And then we can heal the planet. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that's really important is the speed of the healing. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I also suffer from anxiety and, had an experience with psilocybin where it it just felt like it had lifted the the anxiety lifted just in a few hours <laughs> you know and i was left with this feeling of yeah things are screwed up but at the same time everything's gonna be okay mm -hmm. yes well julian's all all is well all is well all yeah, yeah that's and that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean terrible things are going to happen. They're happening every minute, but the long picture is it's going to be okay. The long picture to my life, even in some anxious situation in your life is it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Better than okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Ligare. Okay. And when, when did you found it and what is your vision for it? What's the ultimate goal? What do you hope to achieve? So about a year, let's see, November of 2020, began to just both seeing what was happening in church, seeing middle of COVID, seeing all mental health crisis, seeing that the structures were collapsing. It doesn't look, now it doesn't look like, but they are, they're collapsing. And, and also knowing that I've been given this gift to talk about talk, legal experience of psychedelics and uh, knowing the study would eventually come out knowing that there needed to be some way to bring that back to the church, that the church had all, something to offer the psychedelic community. 
had been on a retreat and came back from that and felt very strongly that I kind of had some sense of what I needed to do. So began to prepare to leave the parish, began to gather some financial resources from some very generous people, took my own experience as a parish clergy person and as a marketer in my previous life, just brought all that to bear on it and incorporated as a Georgia nonprofit in June of last year, and then spent that summer making connections as much as I could, began to travel. And so the way the vision is a network of Christian leaders, not just clergy, but uh, educators, chaplains, clergy, lay leaders, spiritual directors, I think are an important part of this, to connect us so that we can be in relationship and began to develop resources, be able to meet people where they are, whether either with psychedelic experiences or not, so the spiritual directors can prepare people and help them make meaning of them after, even if it is illegal, people are going to do this. So let's not, let's not ignore it because it's illegal. And let's say, yes, you're doing this. It's important. The laws will change eventually. And let's, let's support you in this. Uh, so the vision is education, networking, and safe and legal opportunities to have an experience of psilocybin. So I think that's probably the, the people it's mushrooms and I, they're safe and um it's a six hour experience five or six hour experience so you can do it in a day and i think group settings are important so just this last may we had a retreat in the netherlands with clergy and chaplains and a seminarian in a retreat setting five days with psilocybin in a very christian setting with christian practices and so that's the vision is that eventually so that people can help other people have that experience i don't i don't want to own it i just want to facilitate it and uh and make it available to people that want to have a religious experience make it very affordable make it very safe make it and legal and that's going to happen it's coming and we need to we can't prepare overnight so i'm preparing helping other people prepare Right. So you've done some retreats out of the country where you're guiding people through these experiences. What have been some of their, um, what have been some of their experiences? What have they said to you after, after the fact? Well, like me, they had a deeper appreciation of their ministry, deeper appreciation of the importance of the ministry of the church. A healthy church is a healthy community, which is a healthy world that sort of thing, and a appreciation for other traditions, that's come up like mine. We all sort of intellectualize that, but lots of people have non-Christian experiences, like Shiva, or which that happened, where people would have experiences of a Hindu experience, which is, I think, affirming of the breadth and depth of religious experience. And I think the setting, uh, the Christian retreat setting, tills the soil really well and provides a structure and a uh, a framework for it so people have appreciated the prayer the lectio divina the eucharist after we had typically have a eucharist after the following day is a way to bring that the psychedelic experience into the more familiar christian experience we always pray for the people before the journey we give thanks for the mushrooms we pray for pray for healing because there's always something that people need healed so we anoint people, we pray for healing, and then we pray for the mushrooms and give thanks for the mushrooms and set people off on a journey. So I think people really appreciated their religious tradition being part of this 
otherwise what could be a secular experience. So I think uh, what people have reported, and it was only in May, and this is only Ju uh, July, we're still getting data and feedback, but people feel healthier, people have come back home, realized in some cases that it's not working, which was my experience, this isn't working anymore. And what can we do now to give people experiences of God, not, not necessarily psychedelic, but maybe a breath work workshop, or maybe cacao ceremony, or maybe deepening a spiritual meditation practice, or taking a retreat into the woods for five days. I mean, those things, all of those things people are reporting, there has to be more of that. We have to have experiences. And the, until the book studies, let's, let's lower the book studies and increase the experience. Let's not get rid of the intellectual because we've got to stay accountable to that. But let's, let's get out of our heads and more into our bodies and more into our hearts. Mm -hmm. Some of that can be through reading, but it's mostly through getting out and experiencing God. Yeah. So I, I, every person I've talked to that have gone to our retreats have had similar experiences to mine. That, that, that it's a deepening. It's not a, it's not a dismissal of, of Christianity or religion, but a deepening appreciation for it. Yeah. That's what the church needs to hear and mm -hmm. uh, needs to adjust for and make space for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting that these, the, the, you know, mushrooms can elicit these experiences and, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that I would define my experiences as having an experience of God, maybe, but one of the things I used to say is that I always felt like I was in contact with that part of me that never changes, no. that there is this sense of something eternal, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is very profound. And yeah. I think the few times I have maybe experienced God it was a very stern lesson. Yeah. <laughs> very stern lesson. Right. And with positive results or? Uh, I think so. Um, yeah. uh, it was, I, you know, I've really only ever had one, what I would consider negative experience on psilocybin. And the message was about consumption. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and uh it was i i had this like um it's a weird experience i i got caught in the loop is the way i describe it i got caught in the loop and i ended up turning on the television and i saw something that it was what my brain was processing was this was humanity in its true form and it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> and I still have, when I wrote down, it was me calling out to God. I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm sorry. And I'm going to change. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know? Um, well, that's so, what, if religion, if, I mean, that's one of the problems with Christianity, I think in American Christianity is that we're not really called to change. Right. You make it about sort of sexual stuff or, yeah. I don't know. And the bigger changes the reason the environment is in the state it's in is because we have not taken responsibility for our terrible behavior at extracting yeah. and consuming and profiting yeah. God's creation. And so repenting and returning metanoia and transformation is what, and we just, we've not done a good job. We've failed. Right. We failed. Right. And, and I think this in the psychedelic experience, sometimes that's what comes up is this is not working. 
right. my life is not working on this path. Right. Well, the people in 12 step, they understand that. Right. But yeah. That's and I think the founder of the 12 step had some psychedelic experiences, if I understand yeah, correctly. Bill Wilson, LSD, yeah. higher power. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so some of the back to some of the pushback I've got, some of the pushback I've got is from the uh, 12 step community, kind of the Christian 12 step community, which is people that are still practicing Christians and also part of 12 steps and rightly so addiction, like abstaining has been the salvation. And yet that's a misunderstanding of what psychedelics are not addictive and they're not an escape. And it's not like drinking or smoking pot where you're totally checked out. You're in fact, you're checked in. I mean, that's yeah. Leary, but you're checked in. Um, and that make, that can be hard to be checked into yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, I mean, Larry's problematic, but he did have something I think of great value in the idea of finding the others, you know, mm -hmm. we have to okay. find the community yeah. uh, and, you know, and maybe that's the mushroom is not even individual mushrooms, but, you know, each mushroom can represent a community in this mycelium. Well, they're all connected. Network. I mean, mushrooms yeah. are, they're connected underground. And I yeah. think maybe that's, and I've thought about that before. I think that's what I'm trying to set the stage for, it's, and we are, we're fine. There are a lot of Christians, clergy, chaplains, lay leaders who have, lots of people have done psychedelics, a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people still continue to. And a lot of people are in the church. That's going to be shocking when that, when people are finally able to say, I am a priest, I went to seminary, or my experience of psychedelics brought me to or back to Christianity. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel like a safe thing to say right now, but it's, it's, I want to normalize it so that it is safe. I yeah. want us to normalize it. I think we are finding the others. That's one of the gifts of what I've been able to do is I, there are a lot of others out there and they're right. have become very important people in my work too. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, just to take it back, that direct experience is so important, especially for the leaders of the communities um, mm -hmm. because you know, how many people are leading spiritual communities you know, I don't know that it would be fair to say that the majority of them or many of them have never had true spiritual experiences, but maybe some of them. Uh, and it would be nice to know that the person who's leading you in your spirituality has actually had a profound personal experience. Yeah, two th two th that's right. Two things about that. One is Evelyn Underhill, mm. English mystic wrote about i think if she wrote a whole book of critiquing the yeah. church of england anglican clergy about their lack of spiritual death which is to say lack of expenses without us really so there's that and i think that's still and that's I've, i had dropped i i could see myself in that at times if when all when all you're trying to do is keep the institution going it's easy to get just disconnected from spiritual practice well along those lines it reminds me of a quote by benjamin franklin that uh his critique i think it was the presbyterians of his time that he said that they were more concerned about making more presbyterians than they were making good christians yeah wow. that's right <laughs> that's so much of that's that's not the it's not just our presbyterian brothers and sisters it's all about yeah that's exactly right yeah. and yeah. followers of jesus i mean Let's make follow, let's make disciples and not in a broad, like if the way of Jesus is the way to the life and love, then let's just follow that way and 
give people the tools they need to follow that, and the institution can support that instead of the people supporting the institution for the sake of the institution. Right. Which is kind of where we are, sadly. I mean, I've, and I'm part of, I'm firmly a part of the institution and I benefit from the institution and I'm, and we've, we, we can do a lot better. Yeah. We can do better and we can thrive instead of survive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and change has to come from within. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, within the individual and within the institution itself, I yeah. think. So, so you think that uh, my understanding here is that you have a vision of allowing other Christian leaders to lead or guide in these experiences and to help with the training with that. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're definitely in this kind of, I mean, I, in between space where, so there's a couple of things about leading. I mean, Leading would be actually to get the psilocybin. I think right now, no one is ready for that. I don't think anybody in the church is ready. Very few people. There's training. There are clergy in training. There's several training programs that have specifically looked for clergy. The California Institute of Integral Studies has. There's some other programs in the country that are really recruiting uh, spiritual chaplains and clergy and spiritual teachers, which is great. And I think that's coming. But right now, I would say the role of religious leaders is to help prepare people for a mystical experience, which in this case includes psilocybin, prepare them for the experience, and then help them make meaning of the experience. Because of trauma, because of psychological, a lot of depression and anxiety, I think the person providing the experience needs to have some pretty specific training about when stuff comes up. I I mean, when stuff comes up, you want to be prepared to help people navigate through it and i i wouldn't feel qualified honestly to if especially if i knew somebody had some trauma sexual trauma or other military trauma i just don't i just wouldn't feel qualified i feel qualified to prepare people for the experience and help talk help them make meaning of it but i we're not there yet and so i where i where i hope we can be is people can have the experience even if they're doing it on their own that's them they can do that Mm -hmm. and then we help them prepare for to make meaning of it without judgment and without with all the full resources of the christian tradition the christian mystical tradition it's rich and deep and broad that it's preparing people for a mystical experience which in this case will be psychedelics that's the way i really want to talk about it right right. Uh, because it can be any it can be i've had big experiences with meditation and on retreat and on a pilgrimage so it can be all those things and I like that we say a journey, we say a trip. Hmm. I, I would like to say in the Christian context, we're going on a pilgrimage today hmm. and our guide is going to be these mushrooms and me as your yeah. guide. So I like that. I like that a lot. As the pilgrimage leader. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, what about after the experience is, I would imagine that some kind of integration yeah. uh, and meeting would be also part of the work of Ligari. Right. Yes. And yeah. And helping sort of providing the training and the network for that so that people, I, I want to pretty soon to have a list of spiritual directors that are both well-trained spiritual directors and have their own experiences of psychedelics and have done a lot of reading and mm-hmm. so that they're able to help people prepare for and, and integrate. So I think this, the group setting is good for that. And then people working with individual spiritual directors, as I've done since I was in 
the study with a therapist and a and a spiritual director to continue my work because it's it's ongoing it's not the mountaintop experience doesn't end when you come down off the mountain right and uh, that's where the work begins actually yeah and it's been six years for me and i'm still making sense of what happened and making meaning out of it and left it left my position in the parish because i've discerned that it was time with the help of a spiritual director and a therapist yeah. and a community of clergy to help me make that decision so what is not available in the secular and psychedelic uh, psychological realm of this is there's not a community of support and there won't be i don't think something like 12 steps could be maybe but the church is a built-in community and in the episcopal church and in the catholic church we have an experience called crucio which is a retreat that's away people have these big experiences it's led by lay people who have had the experience they prepare the food they set the table they lead people through that experience and then the people come back and in their parish there's a group and so that's a model that i'm kind of holding up i think it's called walk to emmaus in the methodist tradition so there's models for this and uh we just need to make a few tweaks and uh it's all there right. i've said that before but it's all there it's all there yeah, yeah. So, and i think the community of support and the small group community of support is crucial and in Oregon, next year, the prep session, it's going to be a prep session, the session, and then an optional integration session, mm. because you can't force people to come back after. Right. And I understand that's legal. But again, the church in Oregon could be one of those places where people could get the support they need. Yeah. Because we, in theory, understand mystical experiences and understand healing and support them. So right. again, it's just I'm nudging, pushing the church to embrace this and not be afraid of it and grab it and be yeah. part of it. Yeah. So, do, you, do you think the church will ultimately? Some parts, as you said at the beginning, <laughs> Christianities, there's lots of Christianities. And I, I hope that some parts of Christianity will. Some parts, some parts don't even embrace women's leadership right. or embrace having a glass of wine or so right. God, no, the whole church universe is not, <laughs> but right. Yeah, some of them will. So, um, will. yeah, it's all it takes a small, a small number of people to make a change. And I think that's what's happening. Right, right, right. And as we discussed before, you know, there have been cr criticisms against Christianity that it needs to change. Um, mm -hmm. And this seems like it can help propel changes in a very meaningful and positive way. So I know we're getting out of time here, but I do wanted to, I did want to ask you a question. I asked this to many of my guests, uh, not all of them, but I feel compelled to ask you, are you hopeful? About the state of the world? Yeah. And our progression forward. Um, yeah. Do you have hope? I do have, I, I, in, Yes, I have hope. I do. I, I do. I really do. And I part of my hope is the conversations I'm having with people and the experience I had and knowing that things that there, well, let me back in the first century, in those little communities of people that thought the world was going to change and that this teacher was going to bring on the revolution. And then he's murdered. He's he's killed by the state and by his fellow religious practitioners, the leaders of his religion. 
and the hope that meant the lot loss of hope. And then, then over those next, whatever, I mean, we say, you know, we condense it, but over time, they began to experience his presence in their lives and they began to organize and connect and grow. And then there's hope. And so that's what I, I mean, this is a dark time and I think it's going to get darker. I, I do. I think we're in for a, I think we're in for a tough run. And I think what we've seen politically, I think what we've seen socially, I think medically, and I, I hope we can rally and connect with each other and re-envision community and re-envision healing and take responsibility for ourselves and care for each other that love will conquer all. And it's going to be hard. So, so I have, I have great hope and I have great part of it is seeing those pictures that we'll see this week that this is so much bigger. We're a speck of dust on the rump of a one little galaxy. And, uh, we're just on this rock spinning yeah. and uh, we've managed to survive and thrive and it's going to be okay. And, and we can thrive. We can thrive. We are thriving. Yeah. There's beauty. I live in Savannah, Georgia. I walk down to the river. There's such beauty and people are having babies and, and taking new jobs and living and eating good food and having parties. And it's, we're, there's a darkness that's yeah. we feel so and it's happened before the stakes are higher now because we could blow it up in a second um and god is in it yeah. god ain't gonna fix it but god's in it right um uh, so yes i'm i'm hope i'm i am very hopeful and i'm preparing myself for some difficulty yeah yeah that, that's a good answer and i agree with you like a hundred percent i always like to remember that apocalypse literally means out of darkness mm-hmm. and that we're in a dark place but mm-hmm. there's going to be light that right. might lead us out and a better thing is being revealed even now yeah. a better thing is being revealed and i i do think part of it is the, this new awareness about psychedelics i mean it's it's yeah. more about the it's more about consciousness that's the bigger awareness yeah the cosmos the brain but the, but it's not disconnected to our spiritual lives. It's totally connected to our spiritual lives. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah we need to stop discounting the spirituality, I think. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Spirit yeah. is moving and powerful and under uh, and holding it all. Yeah. Holding yeah. it all. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, I do want to make sure that people know where to find you and find your work. The website is lagare.org. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a contact sheet there. So fill that out. And we're, we do, we do some small gatherings. We're in the fall going to have a whole series of uh, webinars that we did earlier. Last fall, we're going to really bring that up. We're going to eventually have group cohorts of people that want to connect I hope integration groups eventually. So there's a lot coming and the pace is quickening. And uh, there's a, so there's a lot of resources out there already. There's people already thinking and writing Mm -hmm. and experiencing. And we have so many resources already that we're just need to repurpose. Yeah. uh, Yes. So yeah. Well, things coming. 
Uh, well, I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing. I think it's so important and necessary. And I am also incredibly grateful to have had this opportunity to speak with you. Hopefully at some point we can speak again. Oh, uh, God, yes, we better. Uh, yeah, uh, meet maybe next year in Denver. Yeah, <laughs> I'll conference. be there. I'm making it, I'm, present, I'm presenting. Okay, so wonderful. Maps asked me to present at that, which I'm honored. Yeah. And I'll be at Horizons, which is in New York and in Portland. So I'll be there. So there's, this week in the middle of July, I'm going to be at a Christian festival called the Wild Goose Festival. I know this won't bear before them, but that's a place that I think every year I'll try to be. That's a progressive Christian social justice and experiential outdoor festival. And I'll be there this weekend. So okay, wonderful. And where does that psychedelics and Christianity? Yeah. So where does that take place at? In North Carolina. It used to be okay. in Hot Springs in the mountains, but it's in a Statesville, North Carolina at a camp giant. Several thousand people. It's about a 15-year wildgoosefestival.org, I think is the website. But yeah, it's definitely a thing. And based on Greenbelt, which is in England, which is an outdoor Christian festival. Right, right. Okay. Wonderful. And this is a very, thank you for your, both your theological uh, approach to this and your, all you're doing. Not just with the theological conversation, because that's, that's got to be part of this, or we won't be able to it won't come to its fullness without the theological reflection and writing and talking and com- where is God in this? That's the right, question. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I always say that I'm doing missionary work. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. The mission field is, uh, is big and vast and needs, yeah. needs missionaries. So yeah. we are that yeah, in the best sure. sense of the, bringing, yeah. the, bringing the work to the people, to the world. Uh, All right. Well, thank you again, Hunt. I really appreciate this. All right. Be in touch. And that's a wrap on episode 46 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, especially if you use Apple Podcasts. It only takes a second, but your five-star ratings really do help. If you have a minute to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And subscribe to the channel. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. Also, if you think a friend or family member would like this podcast, please share it with them. Right now, that is one of the best ways to help me with this podcast. I really do need to grow the audience. I have a PayPal link set up if you would like to make a one-time donation. And hey, you can be the first person to do so. And I will be sure to give you a shout out as soon as that happens. Um, You can find a link for that in the show notes or the video description. Uh, I'm also going to be launching a Patreon within the next few months. So... Stay tuned, and I will keep everyone informed about that. I have big plans for Rebel Spirit beyond the podcast. I do want to create more video content for the YouTube channel, and I'm planning on doing some live streamings too. Uh, The first live-streamed episode will be with returning guest Dr. Sharon Kogan, where she will be offering Jungian analysis interpretation of dreams for participants. We're still working on scheduling this, but it will be likely sometime at the end of September. So be sure to follow Rebel Spirit Radio on Facebook and or sign up for the newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com. 
Uh, that way you'll be informed of all future events. Uh, implementing all of this is going to take time and resources. And right now, I'm the only person uh, working on this. Uh, so anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.